And so, you know, the things that I've learned about my work, I need to be patient. When I'm stressed or rushed, I get sloppy. Um, and I fall into taking the same photo, which isn't necessarily bad, necessarily bad, but it's not necessarily useful. Um, I need to continue to ask a ton of questions. You're listening to WellFed. I'm your host, John Sarantino, a designer based out of New York. And on each episode, I sit down to talk with one of my creative heroes, individuals whose work, style, and ideas I admire and continue to be inspired by every day. We discuss their past, present, and everything in between. Hey, before we start, I'm trying out something new this season and I need your help. I'll be releasing episodes every Tuesday until the final episode, and I'll be keeping my fingers crossed that I can keep up. I would love to get your feedback after every release, and I'll be giving away stickers and pins to everyone that helps out as a thank you. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast on social media. Take a screenshot and DM it to me on Instagram or Twitter at WellFedPodcast, and I'll send you some good old-fashioned snail mail. With that, enjoy the episode. On this episode, I'm excited to welcome independent photographer based out of Brooklyn, Andre Leroux, whose photos can be described as capturing the life and joy of everyday moments. Andre, thank you so much for joining me today and, and and allowing me to come into your apartment to record. Nice. Well, in a way, you're joining me because this is my house. But <laughs> I do like that you came and brought all this sweet equipment. I got weights in here and like wind guards. I feel yeah. pretty prepared for essentially anything. Try to be pretty official on, on this show. Um, Andre, you've, you've grown so much in your career in the last few years or so. And, um, you know, it was, it was interesting to read that when you were younger, you used to watch the world news with your mom and, and dream about being an anchor. Oh, yeah. So we were big Peter Jennings fans in my house and my house being the two of us. But my mom and I, um, you know, from when I was a young kid, I think it was maybe like a reflection of like often um, when I was younger, my mom was uh, since we moved from Jamaica, she had a teaching college degree. But when she came here, she had to get she had a different certification. And so um, she had to go to take her bachelor's. Then she was also like working at the Motorola factory and doing a lot of different things. So she wouldn't be done until like later in the day. And the world news would come on five to six. And so um, maybe it was five thirty to six. I remember if it was an hour or half an hour, but we would always watch it. And some of my strongest memories are like September 11th with Peter Jennings, like a lot of really specific ones. Um, and so there was always a big value on reading, diction, and the value of truth. And so my mom was like a big journalism fan and I always kind of enjoyed it because it was always before we'd watch like Wheel of Fortune which is dumb Jeopardy which is awesome (laughs) so yeah and like mom is a reading literature teacher primarily so her whole thing is like well technically you should be able to read the New York Times by the time you're in like fifth or sixth grade because it's written at that level Um, and so it was like a furthering of that it also sounded like it was the nice ritual time for you to spend Mm -hmm. spend time with her oh yeah my mom is a great cook so we would be eating, um, you know, whatever Jamaican food she felt like making that day or whatever it was a you know, holdover, whether it was like some kingfish or some salmon and some rice and peas. And it'd be right around that time we'd like eat and watch it or like watch it while she was cooking. So like right around that time was like wind down before homework started and whatever that was. Mm-hmm. It's like a pretty normal thing. Only on weekdays, though. For some reason, we didn't watch the world news on weekends because I sure. guess the world took a break. Sure. Um, are you still holding on to that dream at some point in your life to, to maybe become an anchor later on? I don't know. I mean, I will say this. 
I David Muir is the anchor now because mm-hmm. we still watch it. Whatever. Um, and David Muir feels like he's not that much older than me, even though I'm sure that he is. Sure. Um, but I think that TV makeup and when we're like, like when when we were like eight, all the anchors were like sixty. Yeah. Now we're like, well, I don't know what Gilbert. I assume we're probably the same age. I'm 28, and yep. I'm assuming David Muir is like maybe 40. And so it's maybe still 42. It's just like a different gap. So before it was like you had this thing where you maybe thought they like knew everything and like had seen everything. And now you're like, no, they, they just like go and experience it like normal people. Um, I don't know. I think that the same things that anchors do can be achieved in other ways. But like the, as people would say, like the Leo in me or the attention loving person in me would enjoy being able to present stories and things that I learned from to like a larger stage and audience, which is, I guess how I've tried to use social media in the so there's, subsequent, an, there's an in aspect a subsequent of it. future. Yeah. There's an aspect of it that you still kind of oh, look for to sure. admire. It's for so sure. badass. Like <laughs> you sit, you put a suit on, you sit down and you tell everyone in America, all the things that happened in America that day. And you try your best not to form conclusions unless things are wild. Yep. And then you just present it and let them make decisions. And there's like a really good value in that. And in anything we lack that now, like, um, you know, we're in a crisis of truth as Americans where people, I mean, I don't know. I will say this. There is, is almost a manufactured crisis of truth where people are concerned with where they get their information and whether or not it's true or not. I think there are some easy ways to go around that, but there is one, some things that are really fascinating, like our now distrust of the times and like the Washington post. And that is a very dangerous game because you know, these places have existed for 250 years. Like there was a reason for that. And so if we don't trust them, then there is a level of danger that comes with like, where do we choose to get our truth from? So in a way that those news anchors were really valuable because we could say, this is what happened in Watergate. These are like the things that we know happened and we're not going to argue about them. Now we're having impeachment hearings and we're like, well, I mean, this is just ridiculous. Why are we having this? And it's like, no, no, no. The conversation should be more like, this is what happened. Yeah. And then forming our conclusions, not the other way around. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot, um, there's a lot there. Oh, and I think a, it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. Obviously knowing a little bit more about your background, you had a photojournalism um, later on in your career. Before we get to that though, um, you also grew up like super musically, like playing the saxophone, guitar, the <laughs> keyboard. It's kind of a joke. My mom, if she could, I mean, she would never, I mean, she probably admitted it. First of all, I think she definitely wishes she had another child because sometimes <laughs> she'll just rub my hair and be like, I, you had such a, have such pretty hair if you were a girl. And I'm like, what is this? Like, what? <laughs> yep. Why are you saying this to me? Um, but, you know, I think growing up in an environment that is very uh, British influenced, there is like a lot of idea around prestige and some certain things. I mean, thank you, colonialism. And so there are certain things that are really prestigious. And one of them is being like a concert pianist. So she always thought that was really cool. Um, and so the first instrument I played was the piano, I think from when I was like maybe six to nine or ten. Um, and so we'd play... My problem was I like, as with all children, you're like, practice or watch Dragon Ball Z or go outside <laughs> and play basketball. Um, Always watch Dragon Ball Z. Oh, of course. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is incredible. And I think that like one thing I wish that I realized younger as a kid was that like all these things don't exist in a vacuum. Like um, now if you like stream Dragon Ball Z on YouTube, which I do sometimes, they have, they'll tell you the different scores based on who did the music for it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is so useful. Um, and I probably would have like enjoyed it more if I like realized that there was more of a point outside of just like what I was doing to myself or practicing by myself. Um, saxophone was when I was in middle school. I did the middle school band and like a second of jazz band. I wasn't very good. Shout out to Mr. Helm and then my friend Sarah Darville who lives in Brooklyn now. Um, but 
the jazz band was or the band was actually really interesting because that's when I like started to think. Like I'd already learned how to read music, so it wasn't as difficult. And I remember like the first year I didn't understand because with the piano, you're just pressing down keys. Mm-hmm. So when you move from that key, you're the next one. But with a woodwind instrument like the alto sax, or sorry, um, yeah, with the alto sax, until you finish blowing that note, you're essentially slurring between things. So I didn't really know that at first. So I was honestly just slurring between notes constantly instead of playing like a synced one. And I remember that <laughs> I remember that lesson clearly in seventh grade. He was like, you need to stop slurring everything. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. That's interesting so it's to hear just, about the kind of technique involved in, in the and two And this is really basic. I just was like, I guess, not paying attention. And I remember I was so embarrassed when he was like... Everyone got the concept. Except me. <laughs> um, you eventually kind of gave up the idea of playing an instrument, um, partly because of your friend Jeff. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, instruments are, they're beautiful things, but either maybe either I am, like, lazy or it was just a kind of a bad time or whatever, but I would like play the piano and the saxophone in particular. I played for like uh, probably four years and I wasn't like bad, but I wasn't like really good. Um, and I was never going to play in the high school band. Like <laughs> I remember in middle school, we opened, we like played the national anthem on TV at a Marlins game. And we had to wear like Sawgrass Springs middle, like button down green polo shirts and like black slacks. And I was like, I am so hot. This is terrible. Why does anyone sit through this? Bro, and then you and then you see like the high school ones with like the you're like, nah, this is not gonna work. Like yeah. also I don't really want to stay after school for this. Yep. Um and so I just didn't do it. Um but there was a man at our church that was my like teacher. So like every week, I think up until like soft like middle of sophomore year, I was having like saxophone lessons. But then when you get into that, remember when you were in high school and you like get into that weird period of like deciding that being a nerd is the most valuable thing, you just kind of lose all track of time and somehow it's okay to like let your things you're interested in fall to the, uh, the wayside. But no, like music was important and I think it always was like helpful in how it moved me and it like still definitely does. Um, it's embarrassing a little bit to think that I have like, I mean, my mom keeps them in this one part of the closet where I see them whenever I'm at home and she just got this baby grand piano. So she's always like, Whenever you decide, and I'm like, oh, this is all you want to just pick it back up again. <laughs> yeah. Start like, um, Andre, everyone's here in the living room. Why don't but, you play a little bit? Um, no, my friend Jeff, bless that man's soul. I met him when I was a freshman in high school, and he was a, a junior. And then when I was a sophomore, he was a senior. And I thought Jeff was the coolest person. This was back when I was doing a lot of youth group stuff. Like, uh, where are you from? I grew up in this area, oh, New okay. Jersey, New York. Then you don't know what this is. There's this like, <laughs> there's this thing in like, because Florida's not really the South, but like. There's enough southern things, especially South Florida is not the South at all. But like in the South, there's this thing called First Priority, which is essentially this Christian club that's like, make God your first priority. And so I met Jeff there. Um, I thought Jeff was cool because he had this like really cool um, like techno band that was just him and this guy, Chris Day, but it was mostly him. And he would like just play piano and then like stay up and just mix things on a MIDI keyboard, which I've never seen before. And you remember when you're like 13, 14, 15, like anything that you haven't seen before that you just like gravitate to it like i remember we used to make fun of like girls when we were like nine and they'd be like oh my god like i love the jonas brothers like whatever it was but like that same fixation you just have on something that you like didn't understand i just learned what a midi keyboard was in the last five years yeah i quite honest i was like what is this thing Mm -hmm. and so he would like he had fruity loops and he would just like sit up and watch mash and like not do his homework and like (laughs) and like make all this music 
And it was like such a fascinating thing to me because we'd start to hang out and he'd be like, oh, I'll play you this or I'll play you this. Or like, this is back when, remember the difference between a burn CD and a data CD? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? I was, I was all about Kaza and burning CDs. Oh yeah. Like what your mixtapes were on CD-ROMs. Dude, he'd give me like data CDs with bands. I like Copeland, the first time I listened to Copeland, which Mm -hmm. is from Lakeland. Coldplay, which people love to make fun of, but Coldplay's good. I love Coldplay. Um, There's so many, like so many, so much music. Um, My high school girlfriend, Caroline, gave me see burn cds with keen and not a surf and it was really interesting because um there were points when i wasn't really aware of how i was thinking about my identity the school we ended up going to was in a very black part of town of the magnet school called deerfield beach high school and it was a very black school but the program we were in was it was like a high achievers program it was very white and generally every year there would only be like one or two black people in the class our year there was my there's kendrick there's keon there was me so there's a couple of us but like identity wise you don't really think about it as much you know there were some Indian, Indian American kids, some Jewish American kids, and their identities were like a little bit more, a little stronger. But like as African American kids or as like a uh, Caribbean transplant kid, I didn't think about that as much. And so my point with it was like I had some things that were influencing me, like my youth group, and then Jeff and Caroline, what I was listening to. But then there was also like just general like pop rap that I was used to. And so this was an interesting time where I was starting to like meld interests together of things I like to listen to. And it was like a really good time for that reason. And so um with jeff i really liked um hanging out and hearing a lot of music he had but then i also was really fascinated because he started to make like photoshop brushes this is all stuff this was like 2008 yeah and i was like this is <laughs> no, awesome. no no this wasn't this was like 2007 this guy's i graduated 2009 mm-hmm. and he graduated 2007 so this is probably like early or this was early 2007 before he graduated we'd gone to see like switchfoot live and reliant k and all that stuff and we'd like hang out i'd like sleep over and then he'd like make stuff he'd just be like making a song or something or he wrote me the song for my birthday um and it was just a really interesting time because i started to be like oh like i could just like make a lot of stuff and you know the music thing i was like pretty thought i like couldn't definitely couldn't do it but he would kind of take some photography and it was like okay and i was like oh i could totally like play around with this and do it um and at the same time this was happening i was in youth group at church and there was this woman katie sayre she's kathleen moto and now she's married um, she and I would hang out and she would lend me her film camera. She had a lot of them for some reason. And so there were like, just a lot of swirling influences that kind of had that thing where, um, there's a nonprofit now called hundred cameras. That I volunteer with sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we just did this program in Chicago or they did it. And I got to come, um, where we like talk to kids about how storytelling is important and like what it does to you to be able to tell what you think is best. And so much of it is just saying like, you can actually make this thing. Like it's not a big deal. And like, if something bad happens, nothing's going to happen. But I had that happen to me just by the existence of these people. And so between Katie giving me her camera, Jeff giving me examples of things to shoot, the people around me being okay with me shooting, and then I would just go live at that Walgreens. The Walgreens like a mile and a half from my house, and I would walk over there. I'd wait till they had like buy one, get one on like film to buy, yeah. or buy one, get one on film to process, and just spend like that little money I made working at Old Navy like two summers before on that. Um and so that influence was just that that eye-opening experience of like, oh, I can just like make this thing. And it like wasn't like super high stakes. So I'd like make I'd make like a yearbook or something with my friends or like give people photos of stuff. Like nothing was weird. It was just like this is a thing that's happening and we're all like in high school and need to have like two hobbies or like we're useless. It was very much like you, you weren't 
you realize that you didn't need permission to Mm-mm. just be making and, and experimenting Mm-mm. and things. And I, I think now, even so, as you're doing this group, uh, 100 cameras, mm-hmm. that is a thing. Like it's still today, even in my personal career, it's like I don't need permission to direct or I don't need permission to do these things just because, you know, someone else has that title or something like that. And that extends all the way down to like even when you're younger in high mm-hmm. school. Well, yeah, I mean, it's so much of a permission thing because like, okay. Some of the permission thing is it's a socioeconomic thing. It's understanding that it is expensive for my mom to decide to do this thing. And if it's just my mom, she has to pay. She has to pay for her to go to school. She has to pay for me to go to school. She has to pay for me to exist as well as like general house and life things. Um, the permission is important because you can't just do whatever you want. And so those constraints are important. But then once you get that ability to be like, okay, like this actually isn't expensive. Like you can get like three rolls of film for $10. Um, and if I mow these people's lawns or I do this thing, I can like then get that stuff, shoot it, wait, or someone can expose it for me, like whatever it is. Um, it's all like very doable. And then, you know, halfway through high school, my theater teacher gave me his old film camera as a gift because he like noticed I was shooting it a lot. And so these things like started to become more, um, it just, it got, it got easier. And so that permission is like a mental one as well as like just getting yourself to the point where you can have access to stuff. You make it through high school. You graduate in 2009. Um, Last good year. Same. 2009. And uh, you're working on a a number of different things, I imagine. You're Mm -hmm. shooting. You're doing a little bit of design. You're getting exposed to what your friend Jeff is working Mm -hmm. on. You end up at the University of Florida, and you go into the program uh, as an economics major. Yeah, so I was a journalism and economics major. Just really fast. I really want to go to the University of Chicago, and I got in. I was like, I don't know, did you apply to a lot of schools when you were? Uh, I visited three I chickened out on all of them and then mm. ended up going to the community to figure it out. Mm. Yeah, man. I like, I had friends that were like, I applied to like 12 schools. Yeah, and, like, yeah. and I was like, bro, what? Like, I was so we have homework. That. Like, I'm tired. What are you talking about? I was like, I don't want to do that. I did Florida, Central Florida, and then I did U Chicago because it had the Common app. I really wanted to go to Chicago and without realizing it. Like, this is very childish, but I can admit this now. I'm more of an adult. Um, Dwayne Wade is greatest basketball player in Miami Heat history from Chicago. Giant Kanye fan, especially as a younger boy um, from Chicago. Um, you know, Obama was just elected in 2008 from Chicago. I felt like Chicago had influenced me a lot, and I was always really fascinated with it. And you remember how, like, people were applying to colleges for the dumbest reasons when we were, like, 17. Like, oh, like, my sister's boyfriend went there. and like Arizona's whatever. a great party school. Yeah, Arizona's just, like, I, the temperature is perfect yeah. for, like, mental I development. I wish I had those reasons. I was just like, I'm lazy. <laughs> My mom was like, get out of my house. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I applied to Chicago, visited after I got in. And I'm, I think I can say this is the first time I've ever said this, like in a podcast form. It would have cost me the same amount of money to go to Chicago as Florida, which is ridiculous because Chicago is a really highly ranked school. But state. I had one of the worst experiences of my life on that trip learning about that school. It was awful. Really? Yeah. They have like a big thing where it's like, this is where fun comes to die. And it's like this really big. It was just. I was really excited about it because I was in IB program in high school. And so this was like, you learn all these classics, like everyone has the same curriculum. There's like this big focus on learning. But it was like this thing where we were just overcompensating and like trying to talk about how our intelligence made us in a way like superior, interesting. And I just, I wasn't into it. And it's one of the few decisions I can tell you for sure. Even at 17, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like I knew. Like I I remember that for that day ended, I was like, nah, bro. And so um, I I went to UF and I was really happy with it. Like UF was... UF was really interesting because a lot of my friends from from school went there. A lot of my friends from youth group and like the greater Coral Springs, Margate, Tamarack area. So like I knew a lot of people are going there, but 
the year before us, a lot of the kids that went all stayed really tight. They all kept dating each other. They all kind of kept doing stuff. And that was like really frustrating for me for some reason. <laughs> so I came and just decided like, I don't, I, I just, and some of it, I didn't really realize it then, but I was like, I don't want to be just like that. So I went to preview. I like made a bunch of new friends. I like very foolishly, poorly broke up with my high school girlfriend in like a really dub way. And then I got to UF and it was just like, I want to try a bunch of stuff. Um, and so economics was really interesting to me because it like kind of is the idea of like how money allows people to act a certain way. And then um, journalism made sense because the College of Communications and Journalism, I you know, met one of the people in charge of scholarships and he was like, I can give you this if you stay a journalism major. And so I got there and immediately was just like trying to figure out more things about myself. So like first semester, um, I had a goal to eat with a random person every day. So like I would go to the dining hall and just like talk to somebody in line or like maybe somebody I had in a class or just sit down with a stranger. And sometimes it was terrible. But I think just like realizing, and this is like, I don't know if you have siblings, but as an only child, there was like a excitement and a freedom that comes with going to school and like being around other people. Um, and then on the same level of that with econ, I was just really interested in just like sitting down and learning a bunch of stuff. So I took like sports economics, which was fascinating. Yeah. So you learn about how like when people talk about the NCAA can't afford to pay athletes, it's complete nonsense. Or like how much money the Olympics multiplier makes. Like all this stuff was really interesting because I look like to understand how people think and like how it motivates us. So, yeah, like and the, then, the reasoning behind a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. And then um, I also got the chance, since I had a lot of credits from being a big high school nerd, to take a bunch of things that I think influence my work now. So I took visual literacy, which is a black and white photo film class. So I like learned how to process my own film then. Mm -hmm. um, I took this class called Documentary, no. What's it called that? It was called, it might have been called Documentary and Propaganda in Film. I can't remember why I think that's what it's called, but we did this like a whole class where we just watched films Thursday nights and we just like write papers on them. Um, and so in the journalism college, we didn't have like a like an insane amount of photo electives, but the fact that I could take other things was really helpful for me. And so, yeah, I got there and the influences were like those classes as well as trying to work at the student paper. There's so much there. Um, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much. No, 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 it's it's great. I, it's crazy because you describe yourself as a nerd, you know, when you were younger, but mm -hmm. you did nerd. things very now, that were very extroverted, right? Like mm -hmm. you pushing yourself to go meet with someone every day for lunch mm -hmm. is something that like, I don't think anyone really would do, you know, especially going to a new school, you mm -hmm. go to like your orientation or whatever, mm -hmm. you make like one or two friends there. And then slowly but surely over time, you have a someone in class that you work with and mm. that's another friend it's like you just went right to it you oh no i was like super into it <laughs> i was like super into it because i was like it was super i don't know just like stuff i'd never really experienced before i'd never i mean i don't know if you've been to Gainesville's the south bro like <laughs> you yeah, haven't been to Gainesville before you come come from being like you've been to miami i'm sure yes yeah fort lauderdale miami are essentially the same you leave that and you go like i don't know four and a half hours north and you're just in alabama you're just in a different state and it's just a really fascinating experience for like a 18 year old black kid. And so um, I was really into the idea and I still am of like, I can learn a lot from the people around me. And I just really wanted to meet as many people as I could, especially that first semester, it just kind of stood out to me like, okay, you chose to come here. You complained about how you don't want to go to Chicago and now you're here. Um, and so like, what can you get out of it? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I have a ton of questions here, but I think this, there's so much here that I want to just kind of hold on to a little bit. You sound very much like a doer. You had just said, like, you yourself had these complaints about not being able to do X, Y, and Z. And, like, instead of just talking about that complaint or complaining about it or having that misery, you're just like, I'm going to change it. Is that, is that how you are today? 
I mean, I hope so. Um, I guess, I, I mean, to my detriment, I think one, one of the big things I struggle with is being having good work-life balance and being understanding when it's time to stop. But I guess I always just want to do stuff because I just want to get it done. Like, if I think that something is, like, right or, like, what we need to be done, then I just want to get it started. Um, I think my mom is very much the same way. She'd always say, we love watching, like, another thing, we'd always really love, love watching basketball. But, like, if I had something to do, like, I had, like, to rake leaves or do something, she'd always be like, those people are doing their job and you're not at that level yet. So you need to go do your job. And so I guess the only thing that would stop me from doing is exhaustion or not understanding something. And so like, for example, when I first moved here, I tried to like meet a bunch of people to talk to them and understand like, hey, you do like, you're a producer. Like, what does that mean? Cause you know, producer and designer, sure, yeah. producer and designer are maybe the most vague terms. <laughs> hey, I'm a designer, video game designer, yeah. nails, like it can be anything. Um, and so understanding that, um, I always just try to get going and do stuff because I don't know, like I, if I'm in a position to do it, then I, I'm going to try. But mm-hmm. if I can't, then I need to figure out how to get to that point and do it. And if I still can't, then maybe it's a sign that I shouldn't be messing with that thing in the first place. I like that. I like that idea. How did you eventually go from photojournalism to photography? Like, what was that switch? Is it just you? Oh, there is, to- bro, there was no switch. Like it was, I... You know, the university has actually been really cool since I graduated. Um, they invited me back last year. They were doing this alumni series where they had alumni come and talk to students about things that is like a gaps in their learning. And I was like, wow, you guys are like really committed to this. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, cool. And I just came and talked to them and just talked to them about like understanding all the things that they could do that are like marketable. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in college, I think it was just because I liked photo more um, I had kind of loaded up and taken, you're supposed to take like one capstone or maybe two, but I took three cause I was like, I have a bunch of time. So I took applied journalism, the end of junior year. And that was this film, like a journalism video class. Um, and then we also did like an app pitch on um, with this woman, Amy Zerba that now works at the New York times, lovely woman. Um, in that class we did like, I did this really bad video, but the concept was cool. <laughs> like it was horrible. Um, it was about how at this point, but now it's the number sent up. At that point in 2011, um, African-American kids were three and a half more times likely to drown than white kids were. And like just about like what leads to those things. And then we did this app pitch, which I still think is cool and I hope someone should make. It was called Hey Bill. And the idea was like people would put in their personal information and it would sync with like Facebook or something. And um, it would then be able to tell you like what bills were up for voting and how much it would probably affect you. So you'd have to put in like what your That's a cool idea. Uh, socioeconomic, whatever it was. But the idea was it could tell you like if it was on a scale. We also like thought it might be called earthquakes on like a scale from like one point, like 0.0 to like 10.0 being like, oh, it'll impact you this much or it'll impact this person this much, which would be interesting because then you could like maybe like track the bills or whoever. I don't really know how it would work. Sure. It was a cool idea then. I don't know how to make an app, but the idea was cool because I was just thinking about how like when you know when you go vote, you're like, what is what are what all is, of these things? What does this mean? Yep. And like, even if you've read this stuff before, you go in there and you're like, I don't understand what this is saying. Um, and then I took uh, advanced design, which I was really bad at, but my teacher was really nice and I learned a lot. And then I took advanced photo like senior spring. And so it was just more of like a ability for me to say, like, I always wanted to do more art and felt like it was, I was, I've always felt like this. Like I've never really been to the level of being like, I can just draw or paint or like just start doing something to be good at it. Um, like some of my other friends. 
Um, photo was the medium that you sort of identified with. I identified with it because it, those ideas it was like easier for me to, it just made more sense to me for some reason. Like I've never been a really good like freehand drawer. I remember I have a strong memory of being in third grade with this girl, Allison Odding. She's awesome. Um, she lives in Utah now, but I remember we all made like uh, Valentine's Day cards. We all made like pretty basic like children's ones. And Allison made this one where when you opened it, it was like some sort of pop out and a sword would go through this heart and she'd be like, it, like love sucks or is unnecessary or whatever. That's so great. She was always so cool. And I was so jealous of her That's when we were awesome. like little kids. Our art teacher, Miss Purvis, would be like, Alice, it's incredible. And I'd be like, you're right. <laughs> um, and so like painting, all that stuff was really difficult for me for whatever reason. Um, but my mom gave me some exposure to them. So I think photo always uh, like made sense. Plus working at the student paper, I didn't like writing on deadline. I felt like I did a bad job of it. But shooting was cool because I felt like once I left, it was like a self-contained situation of like, I'm here. This thing happened. And now we can go like edit it. And so... Um, you know, I was always in that mind frame. The thing that really changed it was I tried to apply to a bunch of internships and like, I guess my portfolio wasn't good or maybe it was good. I don't know. I was kind of in a weird headspace. You know, when you graduate or when you're like 21, um, you try to apply to stuff on the internet and it just goes into this void of like whatever. Yeah. Um, what the big change for me was I did one internship in Chicago, um, my junior year summer, summer 2012. It was a great time and it honestly prepared me for this. But the bigger thing was I did an internship at the local paper, The Gainesville Sun. And there was a photographer there, Matt Stammy, that I love. He works for the Santa Fe uh, Community College now. And I remember one day we were, he, we were doing a ride along and he was talking to me. And he was like, what are you doing here, man? You don't want to work here. And I think they'd just been bought by a different uh, publication or like a media company. And like some of them got pay decreases. And he was like, man, you don't want to do this. And um, I uh, wanted to figure out what I was going to do, but I, I had no idea. So my friends had moved home to Fort Lauderdale from like Florida State, UCF, Florida, and all moved home, and we're having a really hard time getting jobs. Like you know, Robbie was working as a lifeguard, like, and he was an actual science major. He's a super smart dude. You know, everyone Lex was working at Tivana. Brooke was working at this like, she was an art history major. She's working at like this like historic house, like planning weddings for people, and it just didn't seem fun. And I love South Florida, but I just didn't love the idea of like getting home and just like driving everywhere and like kind of falling back into the same stuff, which is I guess always been a fear of mine. Um, and so I was there and it was kind of the end of the summer and our house lease was up and I ran into my friend who was the social media manager of Groove Shark. You remember Groove yes, Shark? Yes. Yeah. I'm glad he touched on that because I was yeah, like, yeah, Groove yeah. Shark? I so remember them. Groove Shark was weird, but very big for me. Big in also, terms of- It was like a, it was a social media internship. It wasn't necessarily directly photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like, uh, he was a social director and he was like, our visuals suck. Our Instagram is bad and you're good at it. And it was a big deal because I just hit a thousand Instagram followers, which was like a big deal. Everyone's like, whoa, how did Everyone's you Everyone's like, yo, whoa, yo, yeah, yo. Yeah. And I just, I remember I just taken this photo that had a hundred likes and it was like a big deal for me and for them. So I like, he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, sure. I you know, interviewed a bunch. They didn't tell me anything. I packed up my house and um, I left some of my, some of my friends. We had lived in a house and right next door, there was like an old crappy apartment complex. And my friends live right next door, but they were going to be gone for like five weeks. So I asked them to just leave some stuff in there and I just moved home with whatever and then threw everything else out. And um, <laughs> and I get home and I'm home for a couple of weeks and they're like, hey, can you like come up here? And I was trying to see if I can get like a paid job or something too, but like it didn't really work. So I was just an intern there. And the thing that helped me was in the summer, I did a job for the Alumni Association that ended up design, like shot and designed these like banners and posters that went in every all the freshmen's rooms and on this bus. That's awesome. Pay me a whopping $1,500. Yeah. Which when you're 
21 yeah, no, you're I like did. yo this is it if i do 100 of these projects every year I'm you're like ready, yeah totally you know? like i know this took me like forever and also like they should have paid me more money but like i don't know anything about anything yeah. so i did it and like that's what i lived on from august until december um and that's actually not that crazy because what ended up happening was those friends who i let set their stuff i just lived in their living room and paid them a hundred dollars so september October, November, December, I paid them $400 to stay there for four months, then paid whatever the like splits were and then like paid for food and just like generally existing. But it like worked out. So shoestring, I think. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, $1,500 in Gainesville at that point, I was like chilling, going on some dates, you know. Um, but I, um, there when I worked under JR, and JR is awesome, um, he would have me just shoot a bunch of stuff. And that was the first time I didn't have to do anything for like news. So I could like I could shoot it again, you know, like I'd, I'd shoot a portrait and then I'd be like, oh, can you just move over here? Like I had a lot more control of what was going on. Um, you know, artists would stop by and they'd be like make a music video for them. So I'd like second I'd leave second camera to the video person. Um, this woman, Hannah Piper, who lives here and you should interview her. She's awesome. She now works for Planned Parenthood and she like was in the Brooklyn Magazine 30 like two years ago for like this app she worked on that helped women like track their reproductive health. Um, she was the like talent team lead so she'd deal with all the artists and so i would just be doing all sorts of stuff and it was the first time i'd like seen how like communications can be used outside of it in a journalism sense and um it was cool um you know jr was really really nice and you know it it taught, taught me a couple things i got in trouble um kind of late in the internship they did a big show at webster hall i came up here for and i like <laughs> at one point i was shooting video for them earlier in the day and the day before like background with zach then that day I was helping set up and then I was taking all the VIP booth photos as well as shooting the concert and then like posting live on social. And I remember like at some point being like, I'm the only person here that isn't getting paid and I got really mad. And I posted this thing about using new slaves by Kanye. It was kind of foolish. And I remember the guy who was maybe going to hire me then like, or I don't actually think he was going to hire me, but he brought it up in the exit interview. Like, well, you shouldn't have said this. And you know what? I stand by it because it was like that time when I was just like, okay, enough. Like I've been an intern sure. three times, like enough of all this stuff. You realize sort of what you were doing. And, but at and that time was. it was super helpful because like you need you know, when you get to that point where you can be angry enough to like understand something about your and point. To do you something do. about yeah. it. Yeah. And so I learned a little bit about the value of my work, a lot about different things I could do. And then, you know, that was my introduction to New York. When I was here, I saw my godfather and he lives in Flushing on 148th, like probably 25 minute walk from the seven train. And he was like, look, like, you know, if you want to come for a little bit and like figure something out, you can. And so that's what I did. Like I moved, I, you know, we were here in October, I think a little bit before Halloween for this thing. And I ended up just moving back January 7th, 2014. Um, and, you know, it's been really interesting since then. But like that transition, I guess, started then where I was like, photography is just like a thing. Like I can just do it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still want to like, I have like a photo or two in the times, but I've, you know, I still want to do editorial stuff because I feel like there's prestige in that. But um, that was the first time when I was like, oh, like this campaign person used my photo and now they're going to like use it in their campaign. Like this, this can be used for other things. And like, sure. I just, I always hated doing breaking news. I always hated doing stuff that was like gross or just because I had to do it. Um, and I never liked the rush of doing editorial um, in like a hard news sense. And so like a media magazine. Yeah. I just, I was media magazine made more sense. And one of the first jobs I had when I was here was a photo assistant of men's fitness. And those photos were a little bit easier, but then I was like, this is essentially just like a giant catalog. I'm not super interested in that. So Groove Shark, like really so first of all, for people who don't know, because 
Grusark is no longer around. Yo, shout out. It was a music streaming company. And I remember like I went to a few concerts because they were really honing in on the concert goer, Mm -hmm, music mm -hmm, enthusiast, mm -hmm. and uh, connected with them through that. Um, It was like pre- Spotify post Napster. Yep. So it was essentially YouTube, but like you could just make songs and there were people that were like internet DJs on there that would just be super popular. It was crazy. And this opened you up to doing a number of things, Mm -hmm. you know, between social media, between Mm -hmm. like doing uh, event photography, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. It's, I mean, it's kind of nice because you also went on to to have a ton of other internships Mm -hmm. after that, you know, like you did, you were at Shutterstock for a bit. Yeah. So I did like a Shutterstock like temp thing that was fascinating and that i learned about the that stock photography in the course of like three months um and it's funny because like all that stuff it one thing i mean not one thing there are many things that are wrong with me but one thing is i can be like a very i don't like let i don't let stuff go very easily and shutterstock was just like you know when you temp like just randomly they'll like either they have the option to like renew your contract for way more money or cut you and then just one day randomly they were like yeah don't come in and i was like what and but at that time i didn't realize that that was important because i made enough money then to then move into my first apartment and like be settled enough and then get back into that period of understanding I needed to be like frantic enough to like stay here and like make time for it. And so I think that was my last like internship internship, but that was my like, that like opened me up to like the grad school of learning that New York can be. Yeah. The grad school of learning. Yeah. New York's crazy. Um, you mentioned that you also like, you know, you went on to have a few other positions. You, you ended uh, up at men's fitness mm-hmm. doing a lot of their like advertising campaigns and things like that and you didn't really like it oh no yeah so at men's fitness i was not man i mean i don't know i guess i was doing some advertising stuff but mostly what i was doing was like looking for stock photography um organizing the prop closet like reviewing contracts or like honestly like and henry david kate they're all great no shade at them it was just like kind of a boring job like there i would just like watch anime sometimes because like we just wouldn't have anything to do and like i'd have to wait a couple hours to get like to do stuff or i'd go pick up props for shoots or i'd go to a shoot and like put together like we had like a stairmaster or like that they had like paid mm-hmm. some money to have it in a photo shoot um and so it was kind of whatever and that was kind of my last like we're done with editorial because i was like I was like, best case scenario, they hire me. Like, I think I was making like ten or fifteen dollars an hour somewhere in there, which isn't bad. I just was like, this is a colossal waste of my time. Like, you guys don't really want to be here. I don't want to be here. They're cutting a lot of people constantly. Sure. Like, this is a huge bummer. Like, I, you know, and I just knew I didn't want to be there anymore. And so, um, like, Lid brings us up all the time is like the ways that I start like finding um, outs for myself. So, like, I had been interviewing for some things I didn't get. Like, I remember something that almost happened as I was in the last round of interview for a social media manager job at Uber in LA. And it was crazy because like, if I had taken that, I think everything would look super different. I'm happy I didn't move, but, um, and happy I didn't get it. But like at that point I was like definitely looking for other stuff and starting to understand like, Oh, I could just do this other stuff. Like it's not like a difficult jump. I could take a month and learn it and then go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, um, how did you end up at Walker and company? Walker and Company, shout out for a couple of reasons. My good friend, Javon, my very good friend, Javon, um, there is a small number of people that have similar life experiences to me, and Javon is one of them. Javon moved to America later than I did. He moved from Jamaica. Um, it was just he and his mom. Um, she's a tremendously strong woman. Javon is, Javon is smart as anything, man. He went to Yale. And at Yale, he was really aware of this guy, Tristan Walker, who was the CEO of Walker and Company. He's like this Silicon Valley darling. It's black dude. He has some Jamaican influence. I don't know what it is, but I remember I was in New York for a couple months. Maybe like I was in there. It was, I got moved there January. Maybe like April. He calls me. And he's like, "Hey man, you heard this Walker and Company man? Like, dude, they're like working out of New York. They're so badass. They're like 
they're like doing all this cool stuff. Like you should just sort of reach out and see if you can do anything for them. You know, there's a lot of things that are fascinating about Tristan, but the number one thing I'll tell you is I've never met somebody who like I emailed them and I think they emailed me back the same day or like the next morning. I emailed just to say like if you need any photo help. And at this point, um, the guys from Street Etiquette were working on it, like Josh Kissy and Travis, whose name mm-hmm. last name I forget. Um, and I just reached out. They emailed me back and they were like, yeah, you know, we like could use some images for like some because like for Instagram, because, you know, like you just need stuff. Sure. And so I would just kind of send them stuff and they'd repost it. And um, they pay me like I mean, like three hundred dollars like uh, for three months of or like twelve. I don't know what it was, but it was like some small amount of money. But they really liked it. and They're really, really nice. So I think they paid me for like one three month stint. And then they asked me again like a month later. And then they started to do these like barbershop profiles. And they were like, oh, like Mari. So Tristan introduced me to Mari and Mari after Group Shark might have been one of the like there are a lot of pivotal people on um, I am the result of all of these people's hard work. Mari was a creative director at Walker and Company. She was like the first designer at Foursquare. Now she works at Instagram. Incredible, professional, creative person. And Mari, um, she was like, hey, you know, why don't you shoot um, this barbershop thing? It's in New York. Your work looks fine. So I go to this barbershop, shoot them for a couple hours. It's um, first I do levels, which is up in Harlem. Then I go do Denny Mo another day. And then I forget we did one. Oh, I did Adrian Fannis for the third one, which is actually right across, like right near here. Um, and after that, things, you know, they started to pick up and give me some more work. So I think they just needed stuff. Like often a lot of the reason why New York works for a lot of creatives is companies just want to be associated with the energy of it. And when you're like 23, like that look you have is the one that everybody wants. And so I, was, I wasn't making like a crazy amount of money, but they hired me for that. And they had me shoot some like stock photos they used, people shaving. And then I was in one. And so I started to talk to, talk to Mari a lot. Um, and she reached out one day and was like, hey, I need to do this project called Find Your Barber. And basically the way it worked was the cities they're selling the most in, which are like high density urban areas. So it's big cities with a lot of black people. So that's DC, Atlanta, Charlotte, Chicago, Dallas, Fort Worth, Miami, um, and then LA, I think. And so they needed someone to do, they wanted all of these to look the same and like be written the same. And so there was written to say like, find your barber. It's a project about this thing and it does this thing. So I just was hired for like a three month thing to like go down to these places, interview these people, make this project. And it was cool. So I like rushed, started doing it. you know, when I talk about how much Mari influenced me, the biggest thing, which sounds really silly, is she just started to teach me, you need to think through everything you're doing. Everything you're doing, you need to have a plan. You need to tell me where you're going, what you're doing, who you're shooting, what's inspiring that. You need to be articulated easily. You need to have, like, tested it, everything. And so every week we'd have, a one, we'd have a one-on-one, and she'd just be like, okay, so what's your plan? What are you going to do? And it seems, like, so basic because, like, clearly you need a plan, but you're really used to that when you first move. And you, I mean, you said you worked at Vice, so I'm very sure you're used to this, mm-hmm. where you just kind of get thrown in stuff and you got to figure it out. Yep. And often you lose so much time in that figure it out that, like, you lose that. And so she was just really instrumental in, like, getting me to be accountable and more importantly, like be used to the process of what I'm doing and like being prepared for it, patient with it, et cetera. Well, it's also like, you know, it sounds like up until that point, you were very much a maker, right? You were taking the shots, not even thinking like, I could do this. This is easy for me. But you're not thinking about no. the larger conversation mm-hmm. that usually goes mm-hmm. into these things because mm-hmm. you haven't been exposed to that. And nope. now it sounds like Mari was very much an influence in that process and understanding yeah. like it is 
part of being a creative or a photographer or even mm -hmm. a designer, it's like, yeah, you can make this thing and mm -hmm. a lot of people can make that thing. Your value is in the mm -hmm. process as well. A hundred percent. And like the other thing was since I, after this, I'm sure you realize they like hired me. So I worked as a creative associate. Um, I was like writing copy sometimes. I was looking at how my images were being used in like packaging design. We're being used on the website. We're being used on different things. And then I'd, she'd start, we'd, I'd start to physically see we have our creative all hands. These are all the things we're working on. This is where the stuff's going to go. This is what this use case is. The, all of these things need to be solved. And so it was really interesting because all of a sudden I like, because you kind of had it at Groove Star, where Groove Star's more all over the place. Here there was a physical product. And in New York, we had the HR lead, the product lead, Mari, the creative lead, and then other creatives. So I was working with a lot of the people like Quentin and Fatima all the time. So all the designs that Quentin and Fatima were making for the site for everything were all like very present to me. And so getting my hands on that really early was really interesting. And then with Mir, who now works at Adams, um, he used to work at Quip. I swear Mir has like influenced everyone. Um, seeing him like go to China, work on all these like demos of things, understand what the use case is. Like we would test products in there. Like it just really got me enveloped in understanding that process of things, um, which then fed me really well when it got time for residency stuff because I wasn't like as confused when I got started because I like knew I had to make a plan out. And then when they were like, oh, they're like, are you okay having one-on-ones? I was like, yeah, I had one-on-ones before. So this was cool. Yeah. Um, and so I don't remember what, what this question was, but just like <laughs> making sure that I like, am really clear as to why the the process of working with Mari, Quentin, Tristan, like all this stuff worked. The Walker and Company experience was one that like really just opened my eyes up into being like, this is A, what the working world is somewhat like, startups are a little different, but like you are an important part of this. And that's why I think that working with startups is interesting because you get more experience with a couple of different things early so you can decide quickly what you do and don't like and what you like want to work with or not. Two things. You're very much a sponge at this time, right? Yeah. You're just like absorbing everything. Everything. And then, and then also you're doing a great job leading me into the next part where we talk about how did the residency, the Adobe Creative Residency mm. come on your radar mm. and what kind of drives you to, to pursue that? Uh, residency was interesting. I, you know, they uh, 2017, no, 2016, Around October, I had just gotten off of a performance thing at Walker because we had some new management. And to be honest, I was kind of not doing that. Much. I was doing like a lot less work for some reason. I don't know if I wasn't motivated or what my, what my problem was. But, you know, Mario was like, yo, like, <laughs> I got to put you on this performance thing. You got to tighten up. And I was like, OK. And so did it, got off of it. And then like a month later, I remember it was maybe like November. And we're in the WeWork on Dumbo. And we're working and she's like, hey, I need to talk to you. And it wasn't our one-on-one time. So we go over. She walks into this room and locks the door. And I was like, am I getting fired now? Are you serious? Uh, but also, like, I probably brought this on myself. And she goes, yo, I'm quitting. Damn. <laughs> and she goes, and the office is moving to San Francisco. Shit. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and it was like a crazy watershed moment because all of a sudden it was like everything that I was really comfortable in. Like, honestly, legitimately, I probably would have worked there for at least another year and a half or two years. Like, I just would have it would have been good for me. Like that environment, I had a lot of room to grow. Um, and like, if I showed initiative, I could work on things. And like, so we say that, we do that. Then I'm like trying to figure out what I want to do. I ask her for her advice, ask some other people and kind of settle and not move. And so that means that I'm going to work up until the end of January, work in the office until the end of December, and then work January remote. And then I worked on this Valentine's Day campaign beginning of January, uh, February, and then that was it. And so then ties had kind of been cut. I did everything I needed to for them. I wasn't like completely broke, but I also couldn't just be like out here. <laughs> like, spending money like in chilling Brooklyn. And so spending money in Brooklyn, which would be 
you very should, easy. You should change this podcast to that. You walk outside and you're like four hundred dollars. Spent like, eight dollars on a bacon, egg, and cheese. Before. Like second ago, like to, like just you feel like guilty that. eating or like last night I had to take an Uber back here really fast because I need to do something for my mom and I was like just spent thirteen dollars like doing nothing. Yep, out the window. So um, I decided not to go. I had started to do this. Uh, Tumblr has this program for creators, so they like let us go to Fashion Week and it was awesome. Shot a bunch of stuff for that. Um, and when I was at Fashion Week, I got an email from this woman, Heidi Voltmer, who was awesome. Um, you said you've met Julia. Heidi yep. works with Julia, um, and she is kind of over the program and in like a like a creative uh, creative cloud marketing executive. And she just reached out. She sent me an email. And I remember I was sitting on the floor at a Fashion Week show, and I seen an email from Adobe. I'm like, <laughs> like what getting... is this? Also, like, do they know that I was stealing this before? I wasn't at that point. I was paying for my Adobe at this point. But oh, yeah, I was like, like crack software. I was, like, I was like, do they know that when I was in college, I wasn't paying for it? Um, <laughs> Damn, they get me all the way back. We all, had, we all had those friends in, in high school yep. that were like, oh, I can get you this for free. And you're like, how can you do this? And they're yeah. like, the code generator, like creepy skull comes up. And so um, she reaches out, tells me about it. We do a call and I ask her a bunch of questions because it sounds fake. And then all of a sudden I'm like applying for it. And like I had gone, Lydia and I had gone on a trip to DC before that. And I remember on the way back, I was like working on the, like the mega bus on it. And um, I just remember the things that I was really focused on were when I graduated, I was really bummed. Some of my really good friends had kind of a bunch of my different friends had done a bunch of trips after college. Like we're gonna go see like all, like we see like 30 states, like do something crazy. And I was really bummed because I knew I couldn't really do that. I didn't really have any money. And I was bummed because I didn't have a job. And like, my, honestly, my cousin's in the same situation right now. And it's been really stressful to like see him in that. And like, I, it's like weirdly reliving it um, where like some of his friends are like taking three months to go to Europe or do these things. And he just doesn't have that latitude. And mm-hmm. I remember just feeling really like stressed and pressed in those moments. And so I wanted to expand on the idea. Like I really liked working on Find Your Barber. And I really liked the project I did my senior year of college called My Neighbor's Project. And it was about... Um, the fact that I lived on a poor side of town that was a lot more black people and, you know, people just didn't hang out over there. They were released to being near the university. And the idea of like a sense of place was really interesting to me. Plus we just finished with, you know, Trump election one. And um, I was fascinated with the idea that like earlier in that night, I remember I was shooting something with my friend Eric before I even got back to the house, he had won Georgia. And I was so fascinated by the idea that like something at that point to me had seemed very obviously not okay had like completely passed with flying colors in this place. And so the idea of place and sense of place was so interesting to me. And at that point I'd lived in, you know, Fort Lauderdale, Gainesville, Chicago, New York, and they were all super different. And so I was like, well, like what project can I do based on that? So I originally like pitched this project um, that eventually, eventually became Stories From Here. It's eventually, it was originally called Echo Chamber and it was supposed to be more like political, like how, where do we live and how does it reinforce what we think? But this ended up being more a story about like micro stories about people and things, which was, I think easier to execute and not have to like be as crazy about. Um, but after Heidi reached out, I pitched that um, and she really liked it. Like, I mean, I think a lot of the residency is making sure that the people that are there to support you understand what you're doing because, you know, they're there to support you, but like, you're also a grown adult. <laughs> so you like need to do everything. This you're isn't supposed just to. like a high school project. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, not going to like come ch- hold your hand every day. Adobe's want a, a very official, you yeah. know, big corporation. They're grown. Like they it's have other things company. to worry about. And yeah. so, you know, after Heidi reached out, it was kind of quick. Like I pitched my idea. They asked me for a budget. They asked me to make some changes. Then I, f- they flew me out and I like interviewed some more. That was the first time someone had flown me for an interview 
that like a hotel was paid for because oh, before yeah, that, that nice, right? You're like, before Ooh. that, like the Uber job, I remember I flew and I like stayed at my friend's house, but the hotel, it was funny because it was an intercontinental San Francisco. And I remember because when I got there, the hotel wasn't paid for and I didn't know if that was supposed to be a thing or not. So I was afraid to tell them. My mom was like, they're supposed to pay for the hotel. Like, stop it. And so I told them the next day and they're like, no, 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 we'll clean that up for you. Cause I was like, my credit limit's like, yeah, at that point, your credit limit's like, <laughs> hey, can you come out here and then pay for the Like, which would be so weird now. Well, and it's super expensive in San Francisco. Knowing that, but you know, you're, I'm, I was, I was like 25. Hadn't just hadn't had that experience before. Very hesitant to like throw your voice around. And I was, which is you were scared because you're like going to go interview this thing. You don't want to like make a big deal, which was very silly because I didn't really know any better. But ended up being good. You know, went and interviewed, had a long day of interviewing with product managers and different people. They were basically having you talk to all the people who work on products that I'd work with, like audition mm-hmm. um, for audio, you know, Lightroom, Photoshop, and then like residency people. And so, you know, some people challenged me and challenged a lot of my project ideas, but. I, you know, a lot of good things came out of it. Um, but I mean, Heidi reached out for our year, you know, um, the six of us, two of them were German, Julia and Rosa. I don't really know how they got it, but I remember we had this conversation when we got our video taken. Jessica got a DM on Facebook from Heidi, which is funny. That's dope. Um, Natalie found out about it at school, I believe, and Chelsea got a targeted ad. And that's how the four of us found out. And it's, so, it's grown. The program has grown a lot since yeah, your year. It's changed every um, year. It's like, it definitely is doubling in size. You had mentioned that you had to pitch something and that's because you go into it with this goal mm-hmm. and the idea is that you work on this goal the, mm-hmm. the following year or that that whole year leading yeah. up to it. Um, and yours was stories from you. Stories from here. Stories from here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you come out of this creative residency and it sounds like magical for every creative, right? You have mm-hmm. a whole year of just working on yourself, mm-hmm. working on projects, honing your craft. And then you get out like, I think, for someone that isn't in the program, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Someone that that's looking from the outside, mm-hmm. it just seems like green hills, you know, like oh, green yeah. grass. Like, yeah. what is that? What is that experience afterwards? I mean, I know it sounds like again, it's a great program to be able to have that time mm-hmm. for yourself as an artist. But coming out of it, you're not set for life necessarily, right? No. Um, well, first of all, let me say this: the thing that is underrated about the residency is you have the time. It's like shopping at the grocery store when you're not hungry. You have the time to start to talk to people without having to worry if they're going to hire you in the next three weeks. Now, I've been trying to do more film things. And so a lot of times a client will pay me all the money at once. But that'll also mean I have to wait till they pay me to then pay the people that I worked with. And so it'll be a bummer. People need to get paid money. Like, we should all get paid on time. Um, and so I feel bad because my friends will hit me up and be like, look, man, can you just pay me early? And it's a bummer sometimes because I'm like, I can't. But in the residency, there's an ability to like meet and talk with people and get yourself, get your name and your work in front of people in a less urgent fashion, which is just a lot nicer. It's just, it's like a level of stress that when you first, like, you know, if you take meetings and you're just like, please call me back in the next couple of weeks, I really need something. Mm-hmm. Where like often, like um, I'm like up for this Airbnb job and I showed them my work, I think in January this year. Yikes. And then no one said anything to me. And then all of a sudden I got an email like, hey, remember we met? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. A year later. Like, and it's it's so fascinating. Um, and that's one, one thing like that. The freedom to be less stressed is a very nice thing. And I, su- I assume that's kind of the reality for people that just end up having a, like a little bit of money or privilege or just end up like maybe working on freelance while having a job. But that was one of the nicest things for me is I was like, okay, like I'm working my project. And if this person chooses to not like my work, it doesn't impact the work I'm doing now or the amount of money I have. It's just a thing. And so after it ended, it was funny. The first couple months, I was like, 
Like it ended, I was exhausted. My roommate had a party here and I was, I was, told I was annoyed with him because for something else. And I was like, I'm so tired. Like, please stop. And I had to fly to North Carolina because one of my best friends got, got engaged and he's in the air force. So it was like, okay, like let's take some photos and get it ready to go. And um, I finished it. I got stuck in that airport for a day and a half. Nice. It was awful. I finally fly back here and I'm like, okay, what now? I like had a quick job with um, Uber when they were promoting some Spike Lee stuff. At the beginning of that year, uh, Jesse from Tinker had reached out and I just joined the roster, but I, I didn't really have anything coming in. It was April, May. Um, you know, I was like, kind of like, okay, like I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, some things kind of came up that were really helpful. But, you know, the beginning of it was like very similar to like I left. Some people were, I was getting a lot of emails about being in the residency from people that wanted to be in the residency. But besides that, I was just kind of getting like whatever. And so it was a lot of like what I'm used to doing, which is like kind of that journalism ground of like hitting the ground running mixed with that like West Indian desire to have 40 jobs because you don't ever want to like be without money. And so like I was living here, I was like going on the street. Um, I ended up meeting the guy who's in charge of the business improvement district. And I just told him like, if you need photos, let me know. Called him. Um, It was like a lot of just biz dev as people would call it. And so um, it wasn't super green, but the thing was that a lot of people were really, really kind. And I just kind of went back to being like, hey, like I need to figure out what I want to do next. I'm like. Over time, it sounds like, it sounds like one, the residency was able to provide mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a portfolio of work so yep. that when you did come back to do this business development, yeah. which a lot of people, you know, tend to forget or yeah. not even think about, you had that. Had stuff to show. Had much easier conversation. Yeah. And so uh, one thing that was big in my residency that wasn't supposed to be, or. It was uh, the how to shoot and edit for darker skin tones. And so that was kind of a throwaway thing. Adobe has their internal um, internal magazine called Create. And I, I wrote an article for them based off of an article that I read in Hollywood Reporter about how they light Issa Rae's Insecure show and how they introduce certain light like in club scenes to make sure it's not too dark for people of color. And so... Um, I remember thinking it was super interesting and like doing some more research and like writing a piece. And then he was like, this is essentially the Hollywood Reporter piece. Rewrite it. And then I wrote it again. And then like two months later, I remember I had a conversation with him in person at Adobe Max. And he was like, yeah, that article actually did really well. Like a lot of people read it. And so Lightroom had reached out um, the product team and asked if I could do a takeover. And so I said, can you pay for a studio for me to do like a version of this? So I did. And after I did that, my Adobe mentor, Michelle, introduced, took me to this dinner she hosts. I met a woman who worked at Apple. She introduced me to a woman who does Today at Apple. I did a Today at Apple about that. She was really kind about it. And then it became like a thing. I like tweeted out this like random Twitter thread. I wasn't really using Twitter at that point. And then like my phone like exploded. Um, and that like that's as viral as anything goes. But from there, I ended up getting a good amount of work. So I did the Uber thing, did like a wedding, did this project about immigration. Um, I like one of my friends got me like a, we did like some photo video work at Red Bull for a little bit like this. Yeah. The beginning of this year was really weird. Like post-residency, I was like kind of just getting back into my normal stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there was some fear of that because without realizing if you do that, you can end up driving your own costs down. But at that point I was like, I don't care. Like I just want to make sure I'm not broke. And so I just started doing work. Um, I ended up doing something with Uber, a couple things with Uber. Uber was a big client for me last year. Um, that ended kind of ended up rounding out the year, but end of last year, I was just working on all sorts of different things um, to kind of round it out. And then at the start of this year, like I think a lot of the seeds from maybe residency and on started to kind of pick up. And also, I think the quality of my work even got better and and different. 
there were some things that I did that were fine and some things that were great. Um, I had like a big shoot last year that at that time I was really nervous and ended up being really mediocre, but ended up helping me because I did like a version of that same shoot for two other clients this year that made more money and were like more helpful. Being independent now for some time uh, post-residency and and figuring out your own way and your Mm -hmm. process and taking all the things that you've learned over your career so far, you know, I noticed that you've been able to work on projects and you photograph people like Karamu from Queer Eye. Oh, yeah. You you photograph like Golden State. You Mm -hmm. know, you've had... A ton of different opportunities. Um, what do you think has been one of the the biggest things that you've learned in this time of being, a, you, you know, your own boss essentially? Oh yeah. First of all, that like you, every famous person I've shot, I've I've had Sans uh, Kamal on United Shades. Shout out to Kamal. Great for my career. I appreciate you, dude. Um, every other famous person I've shot has been like a ten minute affair. I'll like get somewhere. They'll be like, all right, you have like an hour and then I'll wait. Shoot you some blue steel. Inevitably. And then like they'll show up and be like, yo, what up? You got five minutes. And it's like, it used to really stress me out. And I'm just like, whatever, dude. Um, so, you know, on, a, on one front, um, I'm lucky enough to be nominated for this photo award. And we were putting together the work for it yesterday. And the editor I'm working with was just like, yeah, you don't have, you don't need to put it in famous people. Like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you're showing like a display of your work. And so, you know, the things that I've learned about my work, I need to be patient when I'm stressed or rushed, I get sloppy. Um, and I fall into taking the same photo, which isn't necessarily bad, necessarily bad, but it's not necessarily useful. Um, I need to continue to ask a ton of questions. One nice thing about being on the Tinker roster, like obviously it pays me, like I get paid money um, to like, like it's nice. I did a cores job. I've done other like big jobs that I wouldn't have had access to Walmart job because of this. Um, but the people on Tinker have been doing this a lot longer than me generally. Like Chris Ozer lives over in Kiwanis um, and Chris is awesome. I remember when I was doing the course shoot, they were asking about my gear and I've used different gear before, but I was really nervous. And I called Chris and just talked through every phase of it. Then, um, you know, talking to Sam, I talked to Sam before the, and J- and Jay Zombie about the, um, about what I was doing for Walmart and like what to expect. And so like a lot of that shared pool knowledge is really important and like not being afraid to ask for it is another thing I've like definitely learned and then reapplied. Um, and then figuring out a way to remain relevant enough that the people that like you um, will find ways to like pay you for your work, which is like a tricky thing to do. You want to be present without being annoying. You want to figure out ways to provide value for them. Like whether that's like, oh, do you like there's like the guy who edited all my stuff yesterday, his son's like two and he like I know that he probably wants some like nice photos of his family. So figuring out ways to go down there and give that as a thank you, um, not to be too pretentious about my work, but also know when to like fight for people to pay you more money. Um, pricing is weird. It's it's I thought it was going to get less weird. It keeps getting weird. <laughs> Um, and more and more the fact that you, you just have to understand having to understand that like what something is worth to somebody is different than what it is worth to you and so yes i might charge you this much money for a headshot because you're a kind person i understand that your budget is this but like if the ex- an executive at netflix needs it it's just worth a different amount of money it doesn't make me bad it's economics it's price discrimination it's how like most good businesses maintain things it doesn't make me a bad person um and then very lastly, uh, Pay Ketron said this to me at the start of the year. She she and I, she's on Tinker with me and she works at Adobe now. And she said, when you do a lot of travel work or a lot of work that requires you to not be home, people forget that you exist. And sometimes they don't forget. Sometimes they're tired of inviting you and you always saying no. And so you have to make sure you understand that the repercussions of you choosing 
this thing you want to work on as a very heavy strain on your relationships and like what it is that you're going to do to reflect, like to rectify that on the back end. And I'll never forget it. <laughs> um, and she's right. It's definitely something I need, like need to continue to work hard on and with. But when she said it, even then I knew that it meant a lot. And so that's like a really big thing I learned is like, you know, figure out ways to make sure the people that cheer for you, but don't necessarily hire you like day ones or day eights or whatever, like know that you, you know, so much of who you are, is thankful for so much of like what they've helped you build up to be, you know? I think that that rings so just uh, oh. loud and echoes so much. Um, Andre, where can people find more of your work and find ways to keep up with you? Well, they should listen to the well-fed podcast. Obviously <laughs> if they're this deep in it, then clearly they're a big fan of you or very misguided friends of mine. <laughs> um, uh, no, uh, they can see my work um, on Instagram at my Andre the use so A U N D R E, just Andre. People always ask me how I got that. That's like an OG username. People ask me, I'm not. It wasn't even like early. Like it wasn't late, but it wasn't really early. Someone I just, just didn't catch on. I that. just typed it in, and the only reason why I did was my UF ID was also just my first name, and I was like, oh, maybe let's try this. Um, and then at my website, AndreLaro.com. But I'm also like a big Twitter user now because Twitter is hilarious, and I don't know why no one didn't tell me this for so long. So it's my full name, A U N D R E L A R R O W, unless. You can convince the guy who has Andre to give it up because he is a lovely, like probably 45 year old man that tweets about the Cowboys and I've offered him money and he said no. And I'm just like, your 40 followers will be happy. So Andre, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, man. Hopefully I didn't make this too boring. No, not at all. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey. Editing, mixing, and music are all done by my friend Kevin Bendis in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Definitely check him out. You can find out more about WellFed and where to listen at wellfedpodcast.com or on social media at WellFedPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.